Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, this is our penultimate week looking at the doctrine of the church. I don't know about you, but personally I found this immensely encouraging series to be done as I've thought and as I've read about the church. And just seeing that right at the heart of what God is doing in the world is gathering a people to himself. Gathering a people to the Lord Jesus Christ. The people for whom Christ died. Gathering them to himself. And so that in heaven they will be gathered round him forever. Do you know the church, as we said before, is not something on the, on the periphery or on the sidelines of what God is doing. But right, heart and centre of what God is doing in the the world now is saving men and women to be part of his church. It's a wonderful thing. I hope you feel excited uh, to think that that's what you're in on. Now, As we gather Sunday by Sunday, as we support and encourage each other uh, week by week, we are involved in what God is involved in in the world. Building his church until he gets to heaven and we'll be there with him forever. Do you know, so what we've, we've been seeing that the church is God's, is the gathering of God's people to meet the Lord Jesus in his word by the power of the Spirit and in fellowship with one another. God, God is gathering that people as people hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and are gathered into the church. And then as we then speak of what God is doing, to each other. We are building each other up as the Spirit takes those words and applies them to our hearts as we speak the gospel to each other that we are built more and more into the people that God wants us to be. You see, people are gathered into this great purpose of God and to fellowship with one another. And we see that as we gather each week. We express the wonderful reality of the fact that God is gathering that people as we gather together. And as we gather together, it's, we, it's to speak God's word to each other. To hear God's word. To hear the word about Jesus that is then applied to our hearts by the Spirit. And then just, to, just on that, you know, I often have uh, discussions with people. They say, I've got a friend and they're struggling with a particular issue. I've got a friend, they're really struggling with doubt. They're not sure uh, how to keep on going as a Christian. Or I've got a friend and they're uh, really struggling with a particular sin in their lives. And I, I don't know what to do. And as I've thought about that, and as I've uh, pondered that kind of question before, what do you do in that situation? And I've come to realise that what you do is you speak the gospel to people. You tell them, the gospel, again, somebody who's struggling with doubts, you tell them of the Lord Jesus and what he's done. Somebody who's struggling with sin, you talk about the Lord Jesus and what he has done. Now when we say gospel, you need to, uh, we need to understand what we're talking about. You can summarise the gospel in many ways and you can say, Jesus is Lord. That's, that's a summary of the gospel. Jesus is Lord who died for our sins on the cross. But at its widest, the gospel is God's word to us. It's all good news, what we read in the scriptures. And so as we come to help each other, as we come to spur each other on and build each other up, 
then it comes from the gospel, the word of God, as we seek to speak that to each other and help each other understand that and to believe it and to trust it. You see, we need to keep hearing the word of God in our hearts. And that's one of the big things as we gather. We gather to hear the word of Jesus, the word of God. And so we gather to hear the word of God from the pulpit, but we also then speak it to each other. We encourage each other. We spur each other on to love and good deeds. We encourage each other. And so we don't neglect meeting together. And so last week, that's what we particularly saw from from Hebrews. That we are to be those who don't neglect meeting together so that we can spur each other on in the gospel, encouraging each other. Well, this morning I want to put uh, some more flesh on the bones of that. And we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12. It's an amazing uh, passage of scripture. And so if you want to uh, have that open in your Bibles, and Dutch is going to come uh, and read for us. One Corinthians twelve. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit... To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. For if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Let's keep that passage open. And we're on the, the point, the spirit levels. One of the, this section, 1 Corinthians here, is, is written to believers who gather in Corinth, the true church of God who meet in Corinth, and it's written to help them to know how to behave with each other when they gather together, when they come together. And so in chapter 11, they've looked at how men and women are to relate and what to do at the Lord's Supper. And Paul begins here in chapter 12 by saying he wants them to understand doesn't want them to be ignorant. He wants them to understand. He wants them to be aware and have insight into spiritual matters. doesn't want them to be in, ignorant of them. Now it's contrasted, you see, in verse 2 with what they used to be like, their previous state of affairs, when they were ignorant and when they were led astray to mute idols. Before becoming Christians, the Corinthians were merely ignorant now you could say the, the same, if I can say this, of everyone here this morning. Before you became a Christian, you were ignorant. You had no clue about spiritual things. And so Paul goes on in verse 3. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, Except by the Holy Spirit. To say Jesus is Lord is shorthand for confessing that you are a Christian. Now it's not that the words are some kind of magic spell. No, they're not a, a spell that if you say them with the right intonation and in the right way, then you get the right result. Now listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, saying Jesus is Lord is connected with salvation. Connected with being a Christian. It's not an incantation. To say it means you recognise who Jesus is and believe in him. To say Jesus is Lord means that you acknowledge Jesus is God, become man. 
To say Jesus is Lord means that you acknowledge Jesus' death bearing, uh, sorry, his death on the cross for you. To say Jesus is Lord means you acknowledge Jesus came back to life three days later. To say Jesus is Lord means you acknowledge that Jesus sits on the throne at the right hand of God. You see, to say Jesus is Lord is connected to being a Christian. And the only way that you can say those things and believe those things is if the Spirit of God is working in your heart. So can you see that the Spirit levels us all? We have all got the Spirit in these spiritual matters that Paul speaks of. So see verse 3 again. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The only reason we could be Christian is, is by the Spirit of God. We all have the one Spirit. There's a, a fundamental equality between us all as Christians. Now there's no one here who is less than somebody else. There's no one who is better than another. No one who is inferior to someone else. We have the Spirit. And remember that the Spirit is a person. So you can't have more or less of a person. You have it all. We have the Spirit. The Spirit in full measure. And so as we think about what we do in church, it's essential to see that. We are all spiritual people. I wonder whether you ever feel you don't really belong you come to church and say, well, I'm, I'm not really part of this. I don't really feel like I, I belong in this place. I'm not really welcome here. Well, please see what Paul's seeing, saying here. If you come to church as a Christian, you are equal with everybody else who's there. Because you have the Spirit of God. That's what Paul says in verses 1 to 3. The Spirit levels. But he goes on in the next verses, to say that the Spirit also gives diverse gifts. The Spirit gives diversity. So you see, within the the fundamental equality that exists between all Christians, that same Spirit gives people different gifts, different abilities. We see what he says in verses verses, uh, 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. You see, there are gifts, there's service, there's working, and they're, they're not the same thing, but they go together as a package given by God. There's a variety of gifts, and Paul gives examples of those in verses 8 to 10. He gives different examples elsewhere. But you see what he does? He gives, the Spirit gives gifts. So if you look there, you see he gives one gift to one person and another gift to another. And it's quite deliberate the way it's written. As you read down, you keep on seeing the same thing. To one. To another. To another. To another. Can you see each person is giving a different gift? And indeed... We all have a gift from God, a gift that the Spirit gives us. 
You see what verse 7 will call it is a manifestation of the Spirit. Not that everyone has a different spirit. We all have the one spirit. Remember we saw that verses 1 to 3. But we all have a different manifestation of the Spirit. A different ability. A different gift given by the Spirit. It's not that some have a bigger share. And some have a lesser share. It's that the Spirit gives us different abilities and gifts to use. Everyone is given a manifestation. Each of us. Everyone sitting here, if you're a Christian, is given a gift by the Spirit to use. Do you know, it's quite staggering, isn't it? To think that everybody who's a Christian is given something by God to use for others. Now, you might not think your gift seems very important, or the abilities of things that you can do as very great or grand. You may think, I wish I could do that. But God has given you something which you can do. And it is a gift of God. And so we shouldn't despise the gift that God gives us. It might seem insignificant to you. But it's a gift from God. So you see, so Paul's made two subtle points so far. He says, we all are equal because we all have the one and the same spirit. But we all have a different gift given by God to use. No one is better. We all have the one spirit. But we all have different gifts given by God. And do you see what verse 7 said about those gifts? Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given. What for? For the common good. Can you see? The gifts that God gives. Are for the common good. I don't know what the gifts everybody here has. What abilities you have. That you can use in the church. But they're for the benefit of other people. For the common good. For the good of each other. Let's think about what that would look like. In church. Now you think about Christian leaders. Now in the church uh, there's Christian leaders who have been given gifts by God to use for the common good. So Christian leaders to be, are to be those who are mature in faith and, faith and have the gift of teaching and refuting error. And the, the gift that God's given them to use for the benefit of the whole congregation. Now you read it in Titus chapter 1 verse 9. You read this. An elder, so a Christian leader, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it is taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You see, he teaches others and refutes those who oppose it. Encourage others with sound doctrine. That's what we see leaders do most often at church, isn't it? As they stand in the pulpit to preach to us encouraging us, using the gift that God has given them for the benefit of others. It's not for their own self-aggrandizement. It's for the benefit of others, for the common good. In a similar way, they will refute error. So if people come teaching false truth, false teachings, not truth, it's, it's error, it's wrong, then the Christian leader will oppose it and refute it. Because if you read Titus, That will destroy the church. 
It will destroy you as a Christian. And so they refute error for the common good, for each other. And so they've been given that gift by God to use for the benefit of others. And so we should respect them for that. Or maybe that you are a musician. And you use your musical ability to lead people in the music at church. You don't do that for your own benefit. It's not a a performance. It's not a gig. It is leading others for the common good. You know, so in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says in five in chapter five of Ephesians, verse nineteen, he says, "Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." Did you hear how it started? Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual. Speak to one another. And musicians, help us then to speak to one another for the common good. Without musicians, it's sometimes very hard to sing. You might actually hear me singing if you um, didn't have the musicians, and that would be awful. But you see, using their gifts for the benefit of others in the congregation, for the, for the good of others... Or maybe you're someone who's really good at organising things. I don't quite know what that's like. I've never been quite good at organising things. But you see, God has given you a gift of organisation. Use that gift for the benefit of others. Now you see the gift in, in verse 28 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. You see there's those who have the gifts of administration. Of administrating things, of organising things, of making sure things happen at the right times and in the right ways. Maybe you're someone who, in the congregation of God's people here at Fullwood, need to take responsibility for organising things. For the good of others. Do you know, things which are really badly organised are terrible. You don't enjoy really badly organised things. You don't notice good organisation sometimes, but you always notice bad organisation. So use your gift of organisation for the common good. Or maybe you're someone who's got the gift of helping others. You see that again in verse 28. That there are those who are, who are good at helping others. Those able to help others. Is that your gift? Helping others? Do you know someone who's really struggling and you, you help them? Not someone else, so you cook a meal for them. You bake a cake for them. You offer to do the shopping for them. You take their library books back because they're going to get a massive fine. Helping others. Something that's used for the common good. Or maybe you really enjoy welcoming people to church and meeting new people. And so you get involved in that aspect of what we do as we gather. You welcome people in and make them feel at home and part of what's going on. Or so on Sunday night, you are looking out for people. When you sit down, you think, I wonder who's new here this evening. And you're looking around to see new faces. And at the end, you make a point of going speaking to them. Use your gift if that's what God's given you. Some people don't like speaking to new people and they find that difficult. Others of you will love doing that. Use your gift for the common good. Now, 
The one danger we can, we can get as we think about this is that we need to somehow work out what our gift is. Or we don't do anything until we've got a clear idea of what that is. Or somebody says, I think you're good at this. So then we do it. And I don't think that's quite right. We just get involved. We don't wait to be asked. We don't wait to kind of find out whether it's our gift. Try something out if you can do it. Maybe that's your gift. If you can't do it, then maybe it's not. But just get stuck in. Just do things. So you can imagine people coming to me, which people do from time to time and say, I want to get involved in church here, but I've not been asked, I don't know what to do. You know, I've not been asked to be involved in any particular groups or programs. How can, I, how can I get involved? And I wonder what you would say to them. To my temptation is I would say, well, you could, I'll get you involved in the youth work and you can start leading a, a youth small group or how about you start doing a one-to-one and you can be involved in church in that way? Good things, I would think you would agree. But imagine if I said to them when they came, who could you encourage for the common good? So we're standing at Spudbar and I said, do you see George over there? He's not, he's not been at church for a number of weeks. Do you want to, do you want to go and see how he's getting on? And so you, you, go and, you go and speak to them and, and find out how they're getting on. And uh, Are they struggling in their Christian faith? Is it that work's mounting up? And so you encourage them. Or you, you see that there's a, a need in the kitchen. You think, well, I can go and do that. I can help out there. Or you think, well, actually, I know lots of people who are really struggling in their faith. I could, maybe, I could maybe say, do you want to meet and read the Bible together for a while? We'll do three weeks and we'll, we'll look at something together and we'll pray together. You see, you don't need to wait to be asked to do things at church. You know each other. You know other people. You can get to know them. And so use your abilities and who you are for the common good, for the benefit of others. (laughs) Now, in all of this talking of the the gifts that you've got, there is also a stream that Paul talks about of, of seeking the greater gifts. You see that in verse 31. And I think that what the greater gifts are, it's what you see as you read through chapter 13 and into chapter 14, it's the gifts of being able to speak and explain the gospel to others. So it might still be that you're good at organising things, but you organise in a way in which you can speak the gospel to others. You speak God's word to each other. You still bake a cake and take it round to encourage someone, but as you go, you also encourage them with the words of the gospel. You read a verse with the person. You pray with them. And so Paul says in chapter 14, everyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And I think prophecy there really just means taking the words of God and applying it to people's hearts. Speaking gospel truth to them. And it picks up what you see throughout the scriptures, that we are meant to be people who let the word of God dwell richly among us. To know that we speak the word of God, which has such great value and worth to each other in whatever we're doing. Let the word of God dwell richly among us. Do you do that? Is are you happy to ask people what they've been learning or tell people what you've been learning in your quiet times or as you reflected on the sermons? Do your conversations have at their heart wanting to understand and apply the word of God to our hearts and our minds 
But I've got some really dear friends um, in Australia. Um, and we used to go around to their house for, for Sunday lunch uh, a lot um, after church. Um, and it was a great time. Whenever we'd get there, Nikki was brilliant of asking us, what did you think of the sermon today? And so we would, as we were sitting, eating whatever delicious food they had cooked for us, we would be uh, talking about what we'd heard. So I didn't, I didn't get, when, when, they, when he said this, it was a bit awkward because her husband was the person that normally gave him the talk. So he said, I didn't quite get what you were saying when you said that. Well, what did you mean by that? And so we had a discussion about what it meant. And we said, well, I'm going to find that really hard this week to put into practice. What's it going to look like? And so we'd talk about what that's going to look like as we went about our daily lives. We would talk about it. And the word of God was dwelling richly amongst, around that dinner table. And our children were hearing that. And the other guests that were there were hearing that. And together we were building ourselves up, spurring each other on, taking the word of God and applying it to our hearts. You know, I wonder whether you do that kind of thing. Do you do it at Spud Bar or at the pub or if you go out for lunch? Do you talk about those kind of things with each other? And delight in talking about those kind of things mixed in with the the football and uh, the rugby or whatever else is on? Well, let's summarise what Paul's been saying. We have one spirit. We're all equal. The spirit levels. And we're each given a different gift. The Spirit gives diversity among us. You could summarise with the words of Paul from verses 12 to 14. Where he uses the metaphor of a body. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many. They form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks. Slave or free. And we all were given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is made up of one, sorry, the the body is not made up of one part, but of many. See Paul illustrating the point he's been making? We are one body. God has brought us together here in this place according to his own purpose. And just as in our own body there's many parts, so also in the church there are many parts but still one body. And that is just as God designed it to be. Just let that strike you for a moment. The church that is gathered at Corinth was just as God wanted it to be. The church that gathers at Ford is just as God wants it to be. Do you not find that really staggering? God has brought us here today to be part of this congregation, a part of the congregation that meets at Fullwood, because that is how he has designed it. Look across at verse 18, that's what he says. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Do you find that staggering? Just as God wanted the parts to be, he arranged them in this way. Well, let's just think about your place in the body. You see, there was two errors that were going on in Corinth, two uh, catch cries which which dominated the church community there, both of them which were wrong and both of which Paul addresses in this passage. And maybe you'll be one or other of these. You see the first one in verses 15 to 20. 
And this is the problem. People who say, I am not needed by this body. You see in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Is that you? You think, I've got nothing to offer. I'm not part of this body. No one will notice if I don't come. Just see, if you feel that, you have the Spirit of God and have been given a manifestation of that Spirit for the common good. God has arranged you in this body because he wanted you there. You do have something to give. You are a significant part of this congregation. And so be comforted by that. But can I also challenge you at this point as well? Because you do belong to the body. And you do have a gift given by God. So be part of the body and use your gift. You see verse 17? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If you're not using your gift because you don't think you belong, then you are impoverishing us as a church community. And I think that is sinful. Because the body will become less than healthy. Now, it is possible to be excluded by people in the church, and that is wrong. And Paul will come on to address that in a minute. But don't sulk and complain about what's happening to you, but be proactive and use your gift and serve. Now, other of you might be in this category, but your problem is slightly different. Because actually what you do is you exclude yourself. It's not that you're being excluded by others, but you take yourself out of the church. Now you come to church with the attitude of, I really don't want to invest in these people, I'm too busy. I just want to have a spiritual experience on my own, that's why I come to church. I want to grow in my faith, but I don't want to do that with any of these people. Can you see to do that is equally sinful? Because again it's saying that what you have been given by God for the common good is not going to be used. You say, I know better than God at this point. See, church is not primarily about meeting your own needs. It's about serving others and being served. Well, the first group at Corinth are saying, I'm not really part of this, I'm not needed. You see, the second group are saying something along the lines of, there are people who come to this church that I don't need. There's people that are coming to this church that I don't need. And you see that in verses 21 to 26. See, listen to what they're saying. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Can you see what people are saying? There's people coming here that I don't need. They're superior. Above each other, other people. 
Now be honest with yourself, is that you? I wonder whether you even realise you are this person. No, I guess that there may well be some of you who do fall into this category, even if you don't realise it. So do you think about some of the people as you look round here, and you think, I'm really glad they come to church here. I'm really glad they're part of this church community. Be really sad if they left this church. The people you think about like that? On the other hand, there's people that if they left, you wouldn't really care about. You wouldn't even really notice. In fact, there's is there people that you would actually kind of hope that they would leave and go elsewhere. Because they're a little bit awkward or you find them difficult. The people who don't come for a few weeks and you don't really notice. You see, well, Paul is speaking to you here. If you think that. You see, the God has decided on the arrangement of his church, but you are then starting to say, actually, I think better, I think this church would be better arranged if I had the people I wanted in it, not the people that God's gathered here. You're thinking that something else is required other than what God has put together. And that's not right. Listen again to last Sunday night's talk about favouritism and you'll see how wrong it is. And to you, Paul says, you are impoverishing the church by not allowing the expression of what he has given. So make sure you don't quash people around you. They've been given gifts by God to use. Help them to use their gifts. Serve them for the common good. Do not squash out any motivation they have to serve others. Do not think you're above serving people who come here and serving everyone who comes here. For you see, the body is God's. He has given us each other. And every one here is given each other to serve and to love. See what Paul says? God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Can you see how together we are in on this? Well, as we draw to a close, just see the vision of what Paul is presenting here, of what we are as church. Can you see how, how beautiful it is? Can you think how attractive that picture of church is? I wonder how many people would be attracted to a group of people who are sold out on serving each other with the gifts that they have. It would be a wonderful apologetic to the gospel, would it not? As you serve each other. Do you know, as maybe as you guys, as you speak to the families in church, say, can we babysit for you so, you so you can go out for a meal and strengthen your marriage relationship over a meal together? Or can we babysit for you so you can go to Bible study? As they then say, do you want to come round for a meal for, with, to us, to our house? And then you talk about the gospel over that meal. Maybe it will be through you gardening for people in the, in the wider church, people who can't look after their gardens. Maybe it will be through visiting an, an elderly member of the congregation. Maybe it will be through meeting one-to-one with each other. 
Maybe it'll be that you sit next to the person on Sunday night that always seems to be on their own and you will have a good conversation with them and invite them across to Spud Bar and have a spud with them. Maybe it'll be be through you sitting next to the person who's really struggling and weeping with them as they tell you what's going on in their lives. Through rejoicing with people who have had great news. Can you just see how wonderful that picture of a church community is? And that's the reality to which we've been called. Are you going to commit to this? The church that God has called you to be part of. A community where ultimately we want to focus on the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Where we do all the practical things we can and also speak the gospel to each other in love. Where the gospel defines our relationships and every action which we take within those. It really is a beautiful thing. It's a thing which the the heavenly realms look at and say, how wise is God? Well, let me pray before you discuss in your groups. Father God, would you please um, rebuke us where we think too little of uh, church, of the other people you have called us to be in fellowship with? Would you rebuke our favoritism and our selfishness? Would you rebuke our uh, attitudes which say we don't need other people or we are not good enough and we're not going to be part um, of the community? And Father, would you help us to be sold out on serving your people through serving you by doing that? And Father, would we bring great glory to your name as we accept your gospel again and again and as we seek to live it out in every aspect of our lives, not least as we serve each other in the church community? And Father, would you help us now as we discuss what that looks like for ourselves in the different relationships and different contexts in which we find ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.